excited to be here and I'm excited for this chat which we've had in the works for a while um yeah how are you yeah I'm all right it's uh Sunday um which means it's Switchblade Sunday which is exciting so yes. recording this um just a little bit um late in the schedule because we are due to release tomorrow um but you know it's been a busy week um and I'm excited yeah I'm excited for the episode it's a good chat and I'm excited for Switchblade tonight and you've been very busy today as well. I have been very busy. I've got really early today and I drove all the way to, well, all the way, it's 20 minutes, uh, uh, into Stratford to a cute little studio um, where I filmed one of my poems mm. um, with September Avenue Films, which is a company that are doing um, lots of exciting things, but mainly right now they're concentrating on this Pride project. So they asked me to write a poem. Um, the brief was not very long. It was Pride and North. Um, wow. So my poem is called Proud. Um, and yeah, I think, I hope I've done the LGBT community uh, proud with that one. I think it's a, it's a good little poem. Um, and I'm really excited to see the turnout of the final edit of The Cut. And lots of fun people showed up. Um, lots of LGBTQ people, like a, a family with an 18-month-old child pulled up and some trans people turned up and lots of lots of lovely different kinds of people so i'm really excited to Beautiful. see uh, how they all come up come together yeah really exciting yeah and and congrats on a commission Thank you. um shout out to rebecca Pidian for saying yeah that. i mean right? i say commission like i'm not making any money from it uh, because this is mm. in support of lgbt community uh, foundation i believe mm. so all the money raised all the merch that has been made um, it's all going to, it's all being donated to, to LGBTQ charities. So that's, you know, but it's a fantastic, um, it's 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 yeah. a fantastic cause. And yeah, big shout to Rebecca Fidian for putting my name forward. Big love to her. Um, and big shout out to Natalie, who's Rebecca's friend who, who reached out. Fantastic. And the t- so the t-shirt you're wearing in the pit, yeah. Proud of My North, is that, a, is that part of their merch range? Uh, yeah, it's merch, but it's words from the poem. Right, amazing. Yeah, 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 so yeah. Is that something that you've put together or they've put uh, together? Is that a printer poem? No, no. I, we actually didn't know that they were looking for a graphic designer. I think I might have come yeah. into it quite late into the process, but they, they they put a call out for a graphic designer that turned the words into merch. Yeah, wow. so that's really cool, yeah. cool. It's cool to have merch. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah, that yeah, amazing. yeah, yeah. It's the opening and, and ending line of the poem. Um so I think yeah, I think it's perfect for the merch. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So sick! I'm excited to pick one up. Really yeah. cool. Um, so it's a big week for us. Like I say, we've got Switchblade tonight, headlined by Tonka Bell, and then on Tuesday there are still some tickets I think available for Natter. Yeah, we've got a handful of free tickets left for Natter and all the usual places, linking bios and all the Natter and uh, social medias. Um, and we've also got a cracking lineup for you. We've got lots of new faces. Mm-hmm. 
I'm really excited to see Kate Ireland, who I've heard lots of big things about, yes. but I've never actually met her. She's actually headlining Verboza Day before, which is on Monday. yeah on Monday yeah, tonight. Tonight, yeah, to, to the King's Arms. So if you're free tonight, do go and support those guys over there as well. They've got great, great lineup there too. Uh, but yeah, really excited for Nata and really excited for the week ahead as well. Yeah, fantastic. So without further ado, do you want to introduce us to today's yes, guest? Yes, so we are chatting to Cathy Crabb today. I met Cathy when she taught me uh, script writing at Bolton University for two semesters. Uh, and I'll just tell you a little bit about her before we let her do all the talking. So Cathy Crabb mm. is an award-winning playwright and poet who's written extensively for the stage. Her plays include, include Beautiful Mouse, fucking hell her plays include beautiful house moving pictures something right beyond the fourth wall and my favorite the bubbler and our collaboration with punam ramchum rumba bar premiered in 2018 she's also co-written two musicals with lindsay williams and carol day donaldson uh, and kathy's poetry who's that's published by flapjack press as featured on um sculptures by emma hunter at the former site of elk mill which is the last mill to be built in Lancashire. How exciting is that? Wow. So What a little CV that is. Cracking. Yeah, amazing. So without further ado, let's get chatting to Cathy. See you on the other side. Just a quick line on the audio. Um, it's broadly speaking fine throughout, but there are a couple of moments where the internet goes a bit down and we did have to use the extract from the Zoom um, for Cathy's audio. But uh, bear with it because it gets back to normal very, very quickly. It's just a a short little uh, robotic interlude if you will um, but yeah what a CV I'm really excited to hear a chat yeah what we do here on the Redraft podcast is we like to go back to the beginning so why don't you tell us a little bit about where and how you grew up um, I grew up in Moston at first but I've lived in a lot of places, but they've mostly been North Manchester and older. So I, I lived in Moston um, up until I was eight. Then we moved to Alcrington in North Manchester. And then after that, we moved to, um, we started living in pubs. So we'd moved to a pub um, in Failsworth. And then we moved to a, then moved to a pub in um, Royton. But I was like kind of sick. So for surfing, I guess, by then. But yeah, so I've lived in... No, and uh, where else have I lived? My, you know how many houses you've lived in? Um, About five or six, probably. This is the only time I've really settled down when I moved to Oldham, when I moved to Saddleworth. Tell us about, tell us about living in a pub. That sounds really fascinating. So you're living in a pub. upstairs... Yeah, well, people think it's, I don't know, what do you imagine it's like, Will? I imagine it's like a mad hotel and you've got, you ever seen that film, what's it called, George the Monkey or something? You go, George, it basically George, it's about a monkey that lives in a hotel. George the what? He like lives in a hotel and it's a monkey and everyone's mad. All the, all the, all the clientele are like really exaggerated cartoon versions of themselves. This is a, this is a film for kids. Like, oh. it's ridiculous. But that's what I imagine. Really over the top, daft clientele. <laughs> Like a rom com. I'm imagining it's not actually like that, but that's that's the image in my head. It's like um, it probably depends what age. So, mm. like I was twelve going on thirteen. The first thing is dead exciting when you you've got a cellar, so you can go in and and the bottles were like 
mixes yeah. were tiny like that, like really tiny, and that was really good. Um, is this an adult podcast? Yeah. Yes. So, um, so that I mean that's really good, but um, and like, don't forget alcohol is king, right? <laughs> so it pays for your school uniforms, it pays for your your holidays or anything, everything mm. it pays for. So you, your parents are quite lax in the idea that you're going to be drinking at some point. Mm. Um, so I was like, I could, I could have any kind of booze at all by 15. Wow. Whatever okay. you want, you know, whatever you want. So I might have a... This melon liqueur that we used to have and and some lemonade before school, whatever. They didn't encourage that. <laughs> before school. But like as soon as you're old enough to work behind the bar, you was working behind the bar. <laughs> and sometimes the cleaners don't turn up you after. And then on top of that, drunks. Mm. You learn to deal with them early, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And um it's just hard. I think it'd be hard for anyone. But when you're I don't know what it's like being a lad growing up, well, I have brothers, mm. and it's massive, but it's hard to be a girl that's going into being a woman mm. living in a pub. Um, and, like, I, I've been a huge boozer, even though I haven't had a drink now at all for six months, which is a big deal, because, like, I have had mm. dr been drinking since I was, like, 13, mm. officially, oh. in, not, not in graveyards like my mates, just downstairs, you know, so, um, yeah, so, um, what was I saying before? I said I haven't been drinking for six months. Um, yeah, so you have a different relationship with alcohol than other people do. Mm, cool. It's not it's not seen as a bad thing until you think, oh, it's not great, is it? You know, well, you might think it's great. I don't know. I've, I've had my fill now at 52. That's what I was going to say, is the six months a conscious decision? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, um it's it's and, and the upshot is we used to have a pub that had lock-ins and um you grow up very social mm. if you're a confident social person like me without many boundaries it's a great place as well because you can say and do what, whatever you like because everyone's quite drunk so they don't and it's shocking but in other realms and in other life that was quite difficult but I have um, wrote a lot about banter and the mm. way people talk and dialogue and things like that is my bag so I have wrote um, a play called The Bubbler that did really well that was set in a pub yeah we'll be talking about that in a bit actually we will come to that we will come to that no, yeah. but it's interesting hearing you say that because uh, I spent some time in Ireland before I enrolled at Bolton Uni, um, living there. And although I didn't live in the pub I worked at, mm. I was there like from opening the doors until like two, three in the morning most nights. Especially when the relationship I was in that brought me over there broke down, and I had no one there. I was just I was there all the time, and it, it is it is a weird little culture. Um, like th there's so much drink and drugs going round, and and especially in a place, I mean, Manchester's not as bad, but like the place I was in was so remote that it that was the only thing to do was to, you know, 
mm. get on it, be be on be be drunk or be taking drugs and stuff, and it becomes it yeah. becomes a way of life, kind of. Mm. And the, and and that was a part of the reason that made me leave because I was like, if I don't leave, I'm gonna get hooked on coke and just drink Coronas every day. Like, yeah, they loved gonna... it. like my parents didn't really like because they saw drugs as the enemy. Because because like from my age, say like when I started to go out. I mean, it wasn't even a big deal. I had like a note from my mum and dad saying she can go in this club. <laughs> that was up to their foot. It's all right, bounce yeah. out, bounce out. I've got permission. I've got permission. Yeah, yeah, at, at like 15, yeah. Amazing. Um, I, my mum and dad said I can, so he said, you never held swag. But um, <laughs> they, were, they, they didn't like the idea of drugs because they were fearful of it as well because they were drug mm. dealers but in a different way. So mm. they, they were kind of like fearful. And my youth was spent just in on the tip of the Manchester era. Mm. Um, so like mid to late 80s, so we'd go to the Hacienda and stuff, but also go to the clubs in Oldham because like in the clubs in Oldham, you could like have your pick of lads um, so you'd go trapping off like in the in the clubs in Oldham, but go dancing at the hacienda and, and things like that. So it, it was kind of like that. So I just had a different view of it all. I wasn't green to those kind of things. Yeah, I didn't. But I mean, pubs. Yeah, pubs. It's coke really in pubs, isn't it? Yeah, it really goes hand in hand. Because if you're going to smoke, most people I know that smoke don't really aren't really into pub culture, but no. coke is a big thing in pub culture, isn't it? Because it's like, it keeps you going. It's an yeah, it helps you last longer. Yeah. yeah, it helps you last longer. It sobers you up, doesn't it? And the two go hand in hand because when you get inebriated or when you get turned by either, you're chasing it all the time. It's mm. the same kind of thing, isn't it? I'm yeah. I'm interested in that. But, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm sure coke's really big around Ireland where I live now. In the pubs because it is is remote as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's more subtle as well, isn't it? You can't go and smoke a spliff in the in the toilets. They'll find you out really quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I know because these days it really stinks. It never used to do, but everyone can tell who's having what now. <laughs> and then depending on what kind of drug you've had or ever had in your life, you can smell that on somebody else, can't mm. you? So. Like, if somebody knows you've been doing something in the toilets, it's because they have had it or had it in the past, you know what I mean? So yeah. You yeah. can get caught out really easily. Do you think... But yeah, so my, my, my background is intrinsic with probably quite a lot of loudness, violence, mm. um, merriment and revelry and all that kind of thing. So whilst you were going to the pub, is that when you was doing your... I was going to say GCSEs, but is that that's probably not the right term? When we when we moved to the, the first pub, that was when I started senior school, yeah. yeah. And it was it was a Catholic school in um, Middleton. That I think no, I'd already started there, and we had to get two buses there, mm. so it wasn't it wasn't near us. But we'd already got settled there, so we didn't get moved to Failsworth School, and we stayed at that school. Yeah. What was your relationship like with English? as a subject yeah. i was just i did i didn't get anything else but english and i got an a in english mm. didn't get anything else although i did find out after that i'd, I'd got a b in art as well but um 
Yeah, it's just a, a really rowdy, naughty, loud head, you know, that um, was totally bored of other things, always couldn't be doing with it. And no surprise to anyone, I'm going to be having some tests done for ADHD <laughs> quite soon. Um, and autism as well, yeah, because my daughter has um, it's been flagged up. My daughter has autism. Then you were just a pain, you know what I mean? Probably mm. still are now, but... Mm. I've been hearing of, of a lot, awful lot of adults, like, now that are getting, you know, diagnosed. And, and back then, it's a different world, and you? you don't, you know, you don't... Um, it just wasn't known, was it? Like... Because I was just going to say that yeah. because Will works in, in this realm, no, I've worked as a teaching assistant for in the Senko department, mm. and I can see myself in those girls because it was all girls' mm. school. I can see myself in those girls, and the one that won't be quiet that that was me. So you know that girl who jibs in all the time and won't be quiet. She's oh, yeah. really clever, yeah. but you know she's not going to be able to sit those exams. That's yeah. that's that's me. That was Do, me. Yeah, 100%. And I'm, I'm the same. I can see myself as a kid in a lot of the in a lot of the kids that I speak, I, I, I teach, especially with my new role being quite specifically focused on send needs. Um, I'll send, I, isn't it now? But yeah, different yeah. different schools have different terminology. But the the, ba the the main point is the same. It's the SE part, isn't it? It's the special educational. Um, yeah. And it's interesting because you do sort of see children come up still who like you say might be the brightest people really engaging to have a conversation with being let down by a silent exam for an hour and that being still after all this time and all this research the way that we assess our young people at the age of 15 or 16 it yeah it's challenging definitely yeah, because for, for a long time, I thought adults looked at you. I might not be able to do it on this. But for a long time, I thought adults looked at you like this. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so, I do it with me. You know, they were so just totally pissed off with me all the time. I think me. patience is like the number one skill that anyone has to have to work in any form of education. Oh, I'd yeah. say so, yeah. Yeah. And that goes but, right the way through from like primary school all the way up to, you know, lecturing with everybody because you don't know people's stories you don't know people's backgrounds like outside of what you get on a small piece of paper yeah and I I, I will say to the especially when when I've been with sat with students who can't even who can't even go down a corridor find mm. it difficult who were so panicked and a girl who was screaming quite a lot with terror at just turning into a teenager really and and things like that, and I would, I was the person for that job. Mm. I was the right person for that job, you know, because I was so gentle with her and kind, and would say, you know, that it's not going to be like this forever, and you will find your tribe. Lovely. So, um, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> um, tell us about where your love for drama then came from, and and why you chose this as like the main realm that you work in. I know obviously you've got uh, some published poetry with uh, some poetry published with Flapjack and stuff, which I've got. Um, I've got one of the books, not the seaside one. I've got the other. 
Oh, that's good, because the other one, we can't. I've, I've only got one copy of that now. My mum gave me that book, actually. Did she? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm going to read from that on um, Wednesday got... night. Yeah, but anyway, tell us about tell us about your love for drama and, and why you chose this as the main realm that you work in. Well, I was just always into dancing and, and things like that from being very little. I did a show when I was in junior one, which is year... Well, first year in, uh, after infants, the first year after infants. Yes. Um, I said, I'm going to put a show on, I'm going to put a dancing show on. And uh, so I was I was going to dancing at St Dunstan's in Moston. And um, I, I realised years later, they, they kept me with all the little kids so that all the girls that my that are my age, they'd moved on to go and dance with the older girls, and they still had me doing teddy bears, painting with the bonnet on, and all the <laughs> younger kids. And I was saying to my mum the other week, because because like my daughter's diagnosis has thrown a lot up for us, and I was saying they thought that I had learning difficulties. I've realised now because of my eyes and because because I have Duane syndrome and because of the way I behave. They thought I had learning difficulties. I, I realise that now. But anyway, you couldn't have told me that that was happening at the time because I thought I was the mutts. <laughs> so I like said to my mum, I'm going to put on this dancing show. So uh, she said, well, you're going to have to... So I went in to see the headmaster and told him I was doing it for the end of the year or whatever it was, before some holidays. And then I went home and my mum said you know you're gonna have to practice you, you'll have to practice and get this together which I never did <laughs> and then I just turned up on the day with a tambourine a costume on you know I had it ready and a record player and just twirled around to Boney M's brown girl in the ring I think I must have been like six would have been six even younger than then six and was dead upset when someone one of the kids told me it was rubbish after because I just thought it was brilliant. Mm. I've been doing that ever since. I've been doing that ever since in one way or another, and you can't tell me, honestly. I've been crying outside places. I've been, I've been nominated and not winning things outside, crying with my friends, embarrassed, like looking amongst each other. Like, oh. That's interesting. <laughs> it still it deeply affects you. Well, I just get over it really quickly as well. Mm. I'm just, I don't, I'm not, um, rather than going, I'm not kind of a person that would be going, it's fine, I'm just happy to be nominated, it's fine. I'm like, <laughs> I believe it, we should have won that. <laughs> Which I think is what everyone is like, really. You do it's... feel that, really, don't they? They do. If you want. Like Joey and Friends when he doesn't get his soapy award. <laughs> this is the... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not messing about. <laughs> I'm really serious about this gig. I've been doing this now for 20 years. I, mm. I'm seriously not... You know, like, if I was a chef, I'm not going to make you something and go, it's all right. I'm sure other people's is better than my... I'm not. I'm thinking, <laughs> this is God, and, and I want you to enjoy it as well. Yeah. You know, so... Yeah. Well, what's the point in being, like, you know, what's the point in being any 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 other way? You You should be striving to be the best and... And to do to put on the best shows and to ride the best things. But equally, I could also be like, 
it's rubbish. Like poor Carl, I'll be like, it's rubbish. I don't know why I'm still doing it. Everything <laughs> is there or there. You know, there isn't any in between. Well, let's give it a go. There isn't any of that. Yeah. So that I'm doing it. I've made a big mistake or this is amazing, you know. I'm sure quite a lot of creative people are like that. Mm. How do you pick yeah. yourself up if you've had a day where you're like, why am I bothering? Um, uh, cry a lot <laughs> and, and, and moan to my specific friends who aren't embarrassed by me being like that and know that I'll be over it in an hour. Also, <laughs> I've never harboured over anything for that long. Yeah. If it comes back to me, I'll start getting upset again. I won't. I won't have like. I won't say, "Oh, I've moved on now," or you know, even though I've always really loved having a drink, I won't be drowning my sorrows ever. I just yeah. don't do that. I'm just so good to myself. Honestly, yeah. I would have a nice bath and. You know, I'd go in and look at some good reviews or, you know, I just, I'll just have that, you know, like Simba, remember who you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazing. You know. Yeah. I'm, I'm just a little unknown writer who lives in Oldham, but... You're not unknown, you know. I typed you into Google and a million things came up, like... <laughs> no, but to be fair, I can't believe I'm even that. <laughs> you know it's it's a miracle it's just a miracle that, that and it's a precious isn't it so precious when you have something that you cool um so we met at the uni of, of the university of bolton where you taught me drama writing for like two semesters um can you tell us a bit how that came about and how do you find or found teaching drama to like new writers that's one of my favorite things it's it's one of my favorite things to do i love doing that um, I like listening to the new story because uh, if you can imagine, I have been filtered out a lot in my own work in, in my journey. And it's when, when I do my own work, it's, it's exactly how I want it to be. But trying to play a game, that's been very, very difficult. And um, one of the things that I, I do really enjoy is seeing people who, who might have slipped under the radar sometimes a bit. Like, I like to see... I mean, what's really great about Bolton is they so care about the students. Not like that everywhere. They're genuinely focused on... Not only that, they pride themselves. You know, because some institutions just pride themselves about whinging about the students. and But Bolton would feel like they let themselves down. Do you know what I mean? The peer, yeah. if there's any peer pressure, it would be you need to be more concerned about rather than less, you know, that. Yeah. I don't feel there was any kind of aspects of bullying that you can recognise in that way. I just think, and I, I, and I really liked it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love still time do it. there. You still do it at Bolton? I, I'll come in for Ed. Yeah. yeah, if that's if Ed, if Ed's off, I'll I'll do some for Ed and stuff. Oh, amazing! I, but I'm always doing other things, so I can't do a full time. Yeah, as a you lecturer, do, you do a lot of um. Well, just before I skip to that question, actually, like I really enjoyed your exercises in class, where 
it was all about story ideas. So sometimes we'd leave your like with your class and we'd have like a sheet of paper with thirty ideas down. Um, is that is that your process? Is that how you how you kind of sit down and figure out what you're going to write about next? Do you brainstorm in that way? I am. I am. Um, I try and find ways of using exercises that can get you there. That and how my brain works, because my, my brain works very, very, um, I, could, I could write a play in a day. And I'm not short of those things that, that I don't have a quiet brain and they'll, they'll just come at me and at me and at me. So I find ways to get that process down that happens in my head on paper. And I know that if I believe that that can happen, it can happen. So if I say, right, today we will come up with 50 ideas in two hours, that's what we're going to do. And you'll go away and you'll have 50 ideas for the story because I know I can do it. I can, I can explain how to do it. And I believe that every single person in that room can do it and they can and do. You know, it's a, it's a big thing for me and I, I kind of use those processes a little bit because one of the writers that I work with quite a lot, well, she's um, the producer of Waterloo Road now, and she's called Lindsay Williams, um, and we have wrote together, and she taught me about doing lists, and she said sometimes people's brains just, they can't even, you know, like in, in, in soap and continuing dramas, they have to think very, very quickly. And there is no time. You just will not get the job anyway if you can't be the one to keep coming up with stories, to keep coming up with narrative. So they have um, a great way. So she she taught me how to do lists. And I use lists in all the workshops that I do now. If I do workshops with Triple C, I, I tend to do listen and i can do a lot in an hour for people i know i can do an exercise that a lot of people will gain from in just an hour can you talk about coming to lecturing um for the first time and how you developed a the practice of creating workshops like that because that sounds like something you've got there in your head and you know you can apply it to any um room which i think is amazing and yeah. also how how you actually come to get the job um of lecturer yeah i've usually got most jobs by people recommending me i just run my own course i'm i'm always there with the tambourine and record player <laughs> i do my own courses i haven't done any for a bit i probably will do some more soon but i did my own writing courses for a long time as soon as i had any success i started to pass it on immediately because i thought mm. that was the best and right thing to do and also, I didn't see anybody else like me. It's it's just so different now because the, there's a lot of writers who are women who are non-binary, and I think um, I don't. I think there's still miles and miles to go. Mm. But the working class female writers that I knew. There was Sheila Delaney and then no one else. <laughs> no one else. Yeah. You know, and, and there still hasn't been anyone as successful, I don't think. Not not as a female writer, no, I don't think so in theatre. 
And so I thought it was really good to start passing passing that on and establishing myself as a mind in that way and establishing myself as a person that I understood different narratives that other people didn't. Um, I wonder what degree, to, to what degree, that's people not feeling like they've got something worthwhile saying. Unless you do it yourself, it's probably not going to get done. Yeah. You have to be your own cheerleader. And fortunately, my daughter doesn't, my daughter wasn't lucky in the respect that she didn't have my buffoonerism. <laughs> you know, life really weighed heavy on her in that respect. But I did. You just couldn't even touch me. I'm going to be upset about my own shit. You can't mm. get through that. I'm already you. You know you can you can't have a go at my clothes. You can't have a go at my my way of thinking. You just can't have a go at that because it doesn't matter to I'm my own critic in that way. And um, I think if you can be that to be, um, and that's what most of my times took up with that's doing. Noble. I'm working with Rob Ladder. On that, yeah, I'm working with Rope Ladder Fiction, who do Waterloo Road, um, who are going into looking at, and I, I'm outreach for them, looking at with um, Joe, my friend and team mate Joe Morris as well, and we look looking for and champion new narratives and people in different ways. So one of the th things that we're doing at the minute is we're working with survivors in Manchester. Um, and we're having um, five monologues written by men who use survivors in Manchester, not about their journeys as survivors, but about how your experiences filter through in your narratives in the way that you look at the world differently. Because if I see a, a, a working-class story written by a middle-class writer, it's not really going to touch me further than the bare bones of the story because there's there's things missing there's a certain yeah. magic that might be missing that you will never know because you can't put your finger on what I will do in a different way and I don't even know that you know so it's about like the, the survivors in Manchester will be writing story that I made up story a lot of fictionalized story sometimes about their lives but a lot of the time it's about how you look at the world differently when you've experienced trauma or you're neurodivergent or you're non-binary or, you know, or, um, uh, um, you're coming from a, English is your second language and all those different things create soft furnishings from a different outlook in life. So, and that's what I love. So I do it quite a lot, yeah, I do it a lot. Um, I'll probably stand in for Ed again soon. I hope. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure he'll need some time off. He's, he's a busy guy. <laughs> we're going to get him on the pod as well because he's, he's, he's got a brilliant mind. He's brilliant. Um, yeah, yeah, he's fantastic. Brilliant. Yeah. And again, Ed has such an amazing... Um, uh, oh, you know, he, he he's coloured into to corners that other people have never known about and that affects everything, isn't it? Because sometimes... Say, for instance, as well... Um, 
you know, like I will say to you, I will be out there whinging and moaning to my mates while they're having a fag outside now, because I won't be having a fag saying, I thought that was brilliant. I'm never doing this again. And they'll look amongst each other, then that will be forgot. I won't be slamming doors, throwing tables over. Mm. I am truthful about how I feel in that way. And, oh, but by the same rule, as writers and you're constantly going for different things all the time, you're going to face a lot of rejections. I already had a box file full of rejections when I was 35. Yeah. And as that goes on, that matters a bit less. So it's still sad, isn't it? Because you want to be the person for the job. But I'm like, I have experiences now in life that that would be nothing to me. Because I, I can take a lot of pressure I can take on board a lot of pressure. I can take monetary pressure. I can take career pressure because that is nothing to having to sit under your daughter's hospital bed in A&E and sleep there for the night. So you, you, you have different gauges, don't you? And, and I often say to people as well, if those things upset you, go to your reality of things that you're just like, you have no idea what I've done as a person. If I'm not going to get this job, that is nothing compared to that. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. That's a great way of looking at it. Have I been going on too much? No, no not, not at all, all not at all. Um, um, and just because you mentioned it very briefly that you do all these workshops. So, uh, yeah, can you tell us a bit more about, like, facilitating these workshops, like, in the community? What What's that like? How rewarding is that? How and do you... How does it compare to running one at a university? As yeah. Well? During lockdown, I got um, funding to run some under-the-radar writing groups. So I outreached at first and, and spoke to a few different people who I knew from different um, areas of Manchester and, and I knew them in different ways. And that was t uh, Trevor and Trevor... Um, Dwyer Lynch is also a writer. He, oh, I know Trevor. Right, so Trevor knew Brian. Yep. You know, there was a, quite a few people, but also there was a call out as well. Yeah. So there was an outreach group of people, but, but I did it in a certain way because you have to be very careful because if you're going to do a working class writers group and it's a free writing group, people will find a way to get there. And it's not because the middle class can't, and poor as well. <laughs> it's just that this is about different narratives. So mm. I didn't want people to think they were excluded yeah. just that's, because of class. Because that that's is. A, it's a really interesting thing, isn't it? And we've had lots of conversations on mic and off mic about what class means in 2023, how you can judge someone from what they present as versus their internalized experiences from childhood and all sorts of things like this. Yeah. And there's lots of interesting things that we've started to consider with putting on workshop with our CIC the doors open in making sure that you're getting the right people and the right voices at the right time and having that open to everybody I think that mm. class is it it's, it's almost changed its meaning over the since Thatcher and the right to buy and that has changed what a lot of people perceive themselves as someone earning x amount of money might identify differently than what their appearance would sort of show them. Example that Michaela's brother, my partner's brother, has just started to put the money together to buy a house. 
he's come from a really poor background, but because he's learned a trade at a young age instead of going to uni, he's now in a position where he is able to sort of ad- advance, quote unquote, in life. And, you know, come from the same starting point. We've got lots of debt. He's got a house. <laughs> but it's yeah. interesting that. And, and and in most of the realms, that can be the case. Mm. In most of the realms. But we're in the business of storytelling mm. and we get insidiously blocked out because we are dangerous. Mm. So we have different we have different as we have uh, different outlooks and our outlooks can change society. People were fearful of certain things coming through. If you if you've lived different lives and you don't recognize yourself, it's it it kind of comes through, like you could be the richest working class per- person in the whole of Oldham. But you try getting that on the stage because you you know it it's about it's it's a through road you know you can do and say anything you want but it won't change anything unless it's coming from the right place so like if i went into um uh if i'd gone into um a different career Mm. I could have have moved into a different class because of those reasons, mm. but intellectually, I I if you look look at self help books coming from working class people, for instance, there is none. If you if you want mm-hmm. to have a look at things that are about um, sobriety from working class women, there is none. Mm. There's none because it because it doesn't serve society for intellectuals coming from the working class unless they're going to sell it off in some way. Yeah. So this is it, you see. So so in our realm, we we are very powerful. Everybody is very powerful. When when we have middle-class stories where the veil's lifted in some way, you know, when they do do things like succession and things like that, Mm. and the veil is constantly lifted... That's their gift. That is their gift because they know they can do that. I can't write succession. Mm. You know, I, I don't have that now and a lot of it I don't understand. I can see how beautiful and amazing it is and greedy and the, all those characters, but I can't tell that story in that way. You That's know, um, There's a bit yeah. of a trend with that at the moment, isn't there? Triangle of Sadness. From last year, the film the film was the same. Glass Onion, to a degree, is like a pop version of that. Yeah. I wonder if you think it's yeah. Glass Onion was great, wasn't it? Mm, it was really, really good. good. I really like the popular. I like Triangle of Sadness, but I, I I really do like when popular things say say really great things under the mm. get under the Trojan horse of being popular. Like that's why I like Happy Valley because. That character mm. means more to me than anything. To see those two women be compassionate towards each other, that was never seen before she started doing that in drama. Yeah, never she seen. she would be a dream um, podcast guest, I think. What oh, a, what she's a Sarah Lancashire. Sarah yeah. Lancashire. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I love that. Oh, oh, Sally Wainwright. Sally Wainwright. Mm-hmm. 
yeah the two yeah. both of them together in harmony working on that show is is really outstanding and again it comes from authenticity doesn't it it comes from i can paint a picture of this working class experience because of the research that i've done or because of the lived experience that i have they, it they, it, it yeah it's really. funny i've i saw loads of uh loads of comments on like especially when the last episode aired and stuff obviously there was a big hype about it a lot of it were filmed in bolton as well mm. um but i saw loads of people saying i feel seen like mm. i lived in Hal i grew up in halifax and that is literally what it was like and it's just yeah the representation is so important so important especially for, for you know for working class people and etc do you think us writers have a duty to tell people's stories people who not, don't necessarily have always have a voice even if that isn't our experience i don't i, th I think you can write whatever you want if you know that you've got a truth that you um I think I'm being hard to say that people with different class and culture can't write other stories. I'm talking about the stories that I write can't be really told by anyone but me. But I think, I don't think you have a duty to tell other people's stories, but you definitely have a duty to pull people up. Mm. Yeah, you should pull pull everyone up because they don't have that's why I think arts emergency is such a brilliant thing yeah. they don't have a network and like I'm I'm doing a film I'm going in for some funding to do a shot of five women rambling um which we did at JB shots which is a really brilliant piece that was really went down well and I've asked if my son Lol can be a runner on it. And if anyone says, "Hmm, I wonder how Kathy's uh, son got that," because of me, because yeah. of me, because I'm mm. going to help him mm. in every way I can if he wants to do that in every single way. Absolutely. The danger is, is when people insidiously pretend that that's not happening, or insidiously pretend that they don't stop you certain people and certain stuff you know that that that's the danger or if you give someone a role that they're dangerously unqualified to do if you said <laughs> i'm giving my son the lead role or he's gonna be the dp that and might be something different you know this shit is it yeah he, he can go in as a runner can't he will that's fine of course can. oh yeah <laughs> but i mean just don't make him a member of the House of Lords. Loads of people, <laughs> you know, loads of people get jobs they're unqualified to do, mm. don't they? Mm. No, with not any even help, but yeah, you're right. My son's gonna be the lead and you'll all yeah. <laughs> no, no, but we spoke about this, we spoke about this before here on the pod and out of it as well, about nowadays, especially in the creative industry, is like sometimes it is, you know, like if you know mm. someone who's got a connection and will put you in touch with someone else, you know, that's that's how it works. Like, yeah. But the craft um, is, is developing those relationships, isn't it? That's yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the hard work. Yeah, of course. Developing and maintaining them yourself mm. then is, is, is really to tough to do. I mean, do you feel, do you both feel that you've known people that have given you a hand you know what I mean, that have helped. I, I feel like I've definitely been, uh, maybe not giving me a hand, but presented opportunities that I might not have known were there for me, you know, yeah. like 
in my last year at uni, Ben, the night before the deadline, Ben sent me this link to the Murky Books uh, prize, and I, I'd never, I hadn't seen it. And not only that, I, when I initially read the thing, I thought it was just for people of color. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't have got that. And then I went for it, and I was long listed, and then shortlisted, and I got, you know, I got things off the back of that. So yeah, yeah I definitely think. Everyone's very proud of you. Oh, thanks. We're also <laughs> but... very proud of you. And um, yeah, you you can't you can't get there without your own merit, mm. can you? But yeah. You can look out out for people. I think you should look out for people. Yeah. Like me, me and my friend Poonam, we're always a big um, champion of Zoe Iqbal. And um, Poonam is now the the talent development head mm. for Factory International. And, and um, we was just in awe of Zoe because she had such guts and she did stand-up and we didn't have the nerve to do stand-up. And, and we, we always look out for a... We'll always look out, and and if there's anything that we know that is far and and should come her way, we will. And like yeah. the the kind of groups that I do try and create are the ones that we we will all look out for each other, and just try and help each other, and not be include, not be exclusive, but really try to to make those things give people that opportunity but you know like you know in in my realm sometimes you'll have you'll give opportunities to people as well that they like you you can only do so much you know what I mean and if yeah 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 they're not gonna just uh, and, and my mentor is Noreen Kershaw and she looks out for me yeah Everybody needs somebody, don't they? Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah, and she's always looked out for me. And um, you should have Noreen on sometime. She's great. Yeah, we'd love to. Absolutely. Get in contact with her and say that I recommended her. And she might be dead busy, but at some point, I bet she yeah. would. Yeah. Amazing. Right, so really quickly before we let you go, um, I just want to talk a little bit about the bubbler. Tell us a little bit about that. Um Obviously, it's about you know it's the it's set in kind of the aftermath of the twenty eleven uh, riots in Salford. Um, how did that come about? And more importantly, why did you opt to tell that story through the eyes of men? Um, because um, which which one the 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 riot thing that that was happening all, all over the place at the time. It was a story about young men. Um and that was about young men. And I, I don't think um there's been anything like I don't I don't see the demonization of, of young working class lads at the minute like we did then. But if you had a hoodie you were like properly demonized at the mm. time. And, um you were you were a certain and and, and I felt that that was my son's experience, my oldest son. Right. My oldest son is is just the coolest person you will ever meet in your life. <laughs> Barcelona as a jungle DJ is just you know he's like he's he's uh, he's uh, he has friends all up from all over the world and he's just really cool. He's really kind and. And he was facing the brunt of a, a lot of things at the time. 
that we covered in the bubbler by this horrible man who was creaming it off um uh the lads who came in and sold stuff in cash generator right so what was happening at the time was they were pitting a lot of things that they'll get that they'd realized that they could use the bitterness of people to turn on each other badly because a lot of propaganda wouldn't work these days but they found the key to it and it was well look they're getting benefits and you're working mm. hard and it was all that was coming in bad then because austerity was coming in so it was like well, we can't give to them frivolously in the arts. We give to them and then somebody's going without a bed in a hospital. So we're a bit more savvy now, although it is still happening and it's massively broken. But at the time it was like, no, you had to really speak up and say the arts don't steal from the NHS. Yeah. And so we created this really bitter man. So I based him on on um, Satan from... Milton's Paradise Lost coming down and this really lovely barman who was a man for all seasons. Yeah. It's just horrendous. He's really horrendous. The the first thing that he does is he comes in and he's he's just the things that he's saying are the worst things that I could possibly think of. And the way he is is the worst thing that I could possibly think of. And everybody loved him. Everyone loved that character so much so they think that they, they would often think that Neil just made him up. <laughs> you know that you know he just came from nowhere and he made him up. But you know that like it wasn't written and um, I think it. I think it's good to create a character that ends up being charismatic that is not very nice at all. Um, but yeah, so that 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 came from that that time. That came from really came from that, yeah. During that time, and I'll tell you something. What happened that during that time is that the bubbler was nominated for best play, and it didn't win. And then afterwards, me and my friend Julian, I had a car sit on, and me and my friend Julian said, "Let's go for something to eat." I met him. I went, "I didn't win. I'm never doing this again. I'm sick of it." Never writing another play, this, that, and the other. We went for something to eat in uh, Wagamama, and we had three courses, and I was still hungry. And <laughs> why I'm still hungry. He went, I can't believe it. You had the. I went, I know. So we walked down, we just walked down the road, and we went into Patisserie Valerie, and he went, I'm going to have a cake now. And I went, I'm having a fully. I'm gonna have a full English. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I did. I had yeah. this 50s dress on with a car. I'm having a full English now. Mm. So I had a full English as well. And then um, I, I went out with my mate for a bit after that. I probably got tanked up. And I got home and I took the corset off. And I have never been so full in my life. <laughs> And what must have happened is that the corset was holding everything up like a shell. <laughs> yeah. Right? And I've never been so full in my life. <laughs> you know that story where they put our stones in the wolf's stomach? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. <laughs> totally irrelevant story, but... Brilliant, all the same. 
A warning to people wearing corsets. <laughs> Brilliant. So if the question is, if there is one thing in your career over the past however many years or your life that you, you, you that plays on your mind that you wish you could go back and have another go at, have a redraft at, so to speak, what would that be? Oh, well, a few years ago, I did a play with my friend. She did a play and I did a play. And I was bullied by the director. And if I could do anything, I think I'd probably go back and I'd say to her, I don't think this is the right choice for us. I think we should wait and pick somebody mm. else. And we're dear friends and we survived it. But one time she phoned me up years later because I couldn't make her understand at the time but she phoned me up and she said I'm so sorry I knew what he was doing but I was just so enthralled that we were doing it and I never spoke up and I'm so sorry because that was our baby so I that's what I would do I would go back I wouldn't have a go at him because he's got to live his life and that you know we'll get what's coming to him <laughs> <laughs> Karma. like we all do there'll be something waiting for me that I don't realize yet you know but um I would go back and say look let's let's look around let's I won't tell her why I just go let, mm. let's have a look around because there might be a better choice for us that is the only thing I don't even regret the um Boney M tambourine thing <laughs> <laughs> I think that's Amazing. a really insightful yeah. idea like we get so excited about the idea of someone wanting to listen to us and thinking that our idea is something worth pursuing and we can lose sight of why we started doing it in the first place. That definitely is something I can empathise with 100%. Yeah, me too. I hope that you will take that I really do go through everything with the attitude of a buffoon. <laughs> and then what can you do? You can tell me that I'm ridiculous, but I'm already there ahead of you. And I'll tell you something else as well before we finish, is that certain things are very similar to my daughter's, like I was saying, but um, I'm, I have a recent obsession with them, um, and it started during lockdown, and um, I started to get really, really into drag race, and so much so I watched them all. I watched Thai drag race. I watched them all. I'm watching the... <laughs> Uh, Spanish, the Spanish one now. Watch Amazing. all world, world of Wonder. I watch all the documentaries. I am so so into it, and it's the idea and process that I love that nobody else can do. I've watched them so much, and this is the thing about us all in our own unique way, is that they are a tribe that have been through the mill. They have been through the mill and no one can touch that. So if I want to get up and wear those things and act in that way, I am my, I'm brilliant. You know, it's that kind of thing. And, and the one thing that I would hope for you to, when, you, when you're writing your own stuff, is to find that, you know, to, to, to do that and everybody to find, find that, that inner drag, that, that buffoonery, that, that charm, yeah, because they can't. You no one can touch. I mean, no one can touch them. They're absolute giants. Even the smallest, <laughs> they're Amazonian, aren't they? Do you know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. 
That is a lovely bit of advice, yeah. Thank you so much, Cathy. It's been a pleasure. Be more drag. Be more drag. Be more drag. Amazing. It's like your zine, be more dog. Yeah, be more dog. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just... They'll be a bit more dark. They get over things like that, don't they? Right. Yeah. They just absolutely. Yeah, the other day at our, we had a little zine workshop, and that was just what was in my mind. Be more dog. It's just yeah. I love zines. Call me in for a zine workshop sometime. Oh, I will. I will. We'll be doing it yeah. again for sure. Yeah, brilliant. Love zines. Rose Sargent and look, John Pauly and all that business. Brilliant. Lovely. Lots Amazing. of love. Right. Thank, Thank you so you much, so much Kathy. I'll send it. Yeah. Yeah, Please. send it us. Bye. Right, enjoy the gym. <laughs> I won't. Bye. <laughs> bye, bye, bye. So that was Kathy Crab. What a fantastic interview. Um I love Kathy to death. I find her super inspiring. Uh, I particularly enjoyed revisiting the times where uh, she did workshops with us, where we came out of class with like thirty story ideas, and I still have the. I still have some of them jotted down. Maybe I'll rework and I will work some of them soon enough. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for joining us. How do you find that, Will? Yeah, really inspiring. Um, uh, really fascinating, and she was so like uh, excited to to sort of chat, which was really really yeah. nice. So. Yeah, she especially those one hour plays. I think that's that's just that's crazy. So, yeah, that's really insane. Yeah. Very, very impressive stuff. So, um, as we mentioned at the top on Tuesday, you can come and find us at uh, well, with Amina's night, I'm just there pestering her, um, at Three Guys Cafe in Bolton, um, for another edition of Natter. Yes, please come and join us. We've got a cracking lineup. I don't think. Sorry, hold on. I'll I'll do that again. The waves are really small. I don't understand what's going on. Anyway, is it accidentally swapped inputs? I don't know. Right, let me try again. Is it coming? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna have to listen to that see if it works. But anyway. <clears throat> Uh, yes, so yeah, please come check Natter out. We've, again, as I said, we've got lots, lots of uh, talented people coming through and we've, as always, got hot natters and hot coffee on the go. Uh, so yeah, thanks for joining us again, guys, and we'll be sure to be here next week. That's it from us. Have a lovely week ahead. Bye. Bye. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of the Redraft Podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to this chat, you can help support us over on Patreon. We have three tiers of Patreon support available from three to eight pounds per month. Tier one is the Big Biro tier. In that, you receive a shout out in the episode after you join, access to all of our planning documents, and you can join an exclusive Instagram group chat with other writers to share notes, tips, feedback, and more. In tier two, the Fountain Pen tier, you get all of that plus pre-sale to any upcoming live events that we've got going on and you get to interact with our guests directly by emailing in questions in advance and in tier three you get the typewriter tier includes all the previous benefits plus a free art print from printer poet commission your own poem from us once a year and you also get feedback on a single piece of writing and that's once a month and of course you can also support us for free by following subscribing and dropping us a five star review on the podcasting platform of your choice and we are really grateful for any level of support that you can offer we know it's a tough old world out there for everyone at the minute so 
Thank you very much. And if you can't support us in that way, you can always just share us with your friends, tell the world about us, put us on your stories and give us five stars. We'll be back every Monday with a brand new episode of the Redraft Podcast for your listening pleasure.